Are you new to Optimal Work? Have you started listening to The Golden Hour within the last year? Join us as we go back to the basics in this episode and discuss Optimal Work's history, its mission, and how we help people get started on a path to self-mastery. I'm Rashad Bader with Dr. Kevin Majors, and this is The Golden Hour. Hi, I'm Rashad Bader. Welcome to another episode of The Golden Hour. Kevin, it's good to be here with you again. Hey, Rashad. Great being back. Well, Kevin, it's been almost one year since we had our last sort of back to the basics podcast on optimal work. We called it Getting to the Heart of Optimal Work, and I think we we released it in February. But we thought that it would be a good idea to uh, do another one for the benefit of our listeners who may not have as much exposure to optimal work or who have joined us since then. So in keeping with that, I'd love to kick it off with the most basic question, Kevin, and that is, what is optimal work? Yeah, Rashad. Well, thanks again for having me back here and talking about the the basics of optimal work. Yeah, of course. Um, I think we could all say it a lot in a lot of different ways. Maybe the simplest way of saying it is that optimal work is a path to self mastery. So it's a way that we have of shaping ourselves deliberately, and that means shaping our attitudes, shaping our attention, and shaping our actions, and. We have one prime way of doing that, which is shaping how we do our next hour of work to turn that into a golden hour. So that's the main method of growth we're talking about. Now, all of that can be unpacked in in, in great detail, but it's good to see this this triad. And the the triad has to do with our intelligence, our intellect, uh, which is going to be shaped by the attitude we have towards the work that we're about to do. You could also say by the intention that we're formulating for why we want to do it, to get to the why behind things, the meaning behind things. So that's kind of what our, our intelligence contributes to that to that action. But also our attention then contributes how present are we in it. And then so shaping your attention uh, so that you can be completely in the present moment and, and not in the past or the future if that's not going to be helpful. And the action itself is the the sense of, you could say, the engagement we have with the challenge, learning how to stretch ourselves. That's probably the best sense of our will, the, the power we have of willing, being fully engaged, that there's a sense that we're stretching ourselves in that task and we're saying yes to it, embracing it voluntarily. So that's a, maybe just a very brief overview of what we talk about as optimal work. It's not necessarily just about work, right? It's about life, but it's about shaping what you're about to do in the in a threefold way. That's great, Kevin. And you mentioned in sort of those introductory comments that optimal work is a path to self-mastery and all the ways that you said, and that it's oriented towards work, albeit it's about more than just work. What was it about work that first attracted you? Why is it that we focus on work? You know, of course, we talk about this in many of our previous podcasts, but just for the sake of someone who's joining us to do, what is special about work and what does work offer us for growth? Well, that's a great question. What, what's special about it is the amount of our life that we spend working. And those hours are repeated hour after hour, not the exact tasks, but that we are working. Well, if we can shape something so repeated 
something that had like an hour of work, we deeply shape everything about our psychology. So many things in psychology are hard to improve on if the time to practice it is infrequent. So we're looking for a way then of how do you teach the basics of cognitive behavioral therapy? Those basics are reframing, mindfulness or recollection, you know, and challenge, challenging yourself actively. How do you get each, you could say those three things do correspond actually to attitude, attention, and action. And they are the key to being psychologically healthy. There is, it is not possible to be psychologically healthy without in some way practicing those, perhaps not knowing their names, perhaps not you know, intentionally doing it, but everyone who's psychologically happy and whole is living with these principles in mind. Seeing challenges in a good light as something that can be an opportunity to bring out the best in us. Letting our attention be grounded in the present moment. And then, as I mentioned, the stretch of actively challenging ourselves, not letting ourselves be passively challenged and overwhelmed, feeling like the challenge is just being piled on us from out without. But no, internally setting the challenge for ourselves in each task. Well, that's what cognitive therapy is all about, what mindfulness-based therapy is about, and what behavioral therapy is all about. What optimal work does is it lets us practice these three key meta-skills, reframing mindfulness challenge, repeatedly throughout the day. And the impact of that we see is far-reaching. You end up deeply reshaping how people respond to triggers and challenges throughout the day in a way that then now can bring in their highest ideals and bring out the best in them. So that's why the mission of Optimal Work as a company is to help people challenge themselves according to their highest ideals in each hour of work and life. So that's the, the ultimate goal is that this is actually a, not just about productivity and getting more done, you know, but it's about growing in a meaningful way within yourself and within your relationships with others. And that's a pretty, you know, uh, let's call it unique way of looking at work. I think uh, in a very recent podcast, we talked so much about the fact that we typically look at work usually as an sort of exercise towards outcomes. What did I produce in my work? What is the thing that I did? Did I attain some goal or some outcome? What you're saying is that work is more than that you have the opportunity not just to shape the work itself, but to shape yourself in the very process of the work. Exactly. Because really in the last analysis, when you ask yourself, what is it that lasts, you know, in our life? The lasting, you know, thing is, I don't think the, the outcomes that we're attaining in a day, you know, and no matter how big they are, how good they are, it, Still, everything is going to pass away. You know, the you might be building houses, and you you built. You know, you did a great job building a house today. Well, that house is going to eventually pass away. You know that everything outside of us, I do think, is very temporal and is part of the flux that's around us that is going to eventually be undone. I think that the growth that we attain within ourselves that could be permanent even eternal. It's, there's something profoundly deep 
about how we are changing when we're changing ourselves. I think the people in our lives, they are lasting. So the bonds we have with them are lasting, but everything else can come and go and will, in fact. So the real lasting things in life are the sources of meaning. And that's why aiming for your own growth in any ideal is always going to come to your mind as meaningful and as beautiful. This can be a beautiful and meaningful way of shaping something. And then your relationships with those that are closest to you or and anyone potentially, though that is also a deep source of meaning. And so meaning and what's lasting, you know, uh, that's what we want people to be aiming for. And as a, how, uh, like a side effect of that, you end up also working extremely well because you're using your work as a gym to continually improve yourself, which means you never are just content with one given way of working, but there's an adventure of challenge in each hour so that you're continually growing as you do it. So I, I find it very exciting to be continually on in my own life, seeing, okay, how do I keep challenging myself and setting the bar higher for what I'm aiming for in hours of work and how well I do any kind of task. That's just been my way of like for seeing patients. I am always loving the challenge of how can I help people in a way that is more profound and faster and more agreeable to them. You know, I want this to be a beautiful experience for them when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with them. But that's a constant source of, of challenge. And, you know, this idea that challenge then is a, is, has connotations of adventure and attractiveness, not being overwhelmed or negative. That's beautiful, Kevin. So to me, it seems that if someone were to look at this on a surface value, they see the word optimal work. They may think that this is simply oriented towards work, but in fact, everything that we're doing is really aimed towards helping shape each and every one of us so that we could live our highest ideals, live lives of greater love and service towards others, strengthening the bonds with others. So you mentioned very quickly our theory of growth. So if we were to sort of say, what is optimal work comprised of? You've already mentioned two of the three things. There's a, a theory of growth, which is reframing mindfulness and challenge. There is a method of growth, which is the golden hour. We also have the measure of growth, which is the inventory. Let's come to the, to the measure of growth soon. I want to spend just a little bit more time on the theory of growth. So if someone were to look at reframing mindfulness and challenge, again, at the surface, they may think to themselves, okay, this is going to help me approach anxiety. This is going to help me develop greater mindfulness or you know, greater control over my attention. And then perhaps from there, it's going to help me get out of a rut. That's really sort of like the lowest tier of, of what optimal work can offer us. You started to allude to this adventure ahead, which is what we try and inspire in people through our theory. Can you talk a little bit more about what you think is sort of the intermediate or advanced applications uh, and levels of optimal work. Can you talk about what this looks like deeper on in someone's journey? Well, I think that we end up transcending ourselves with, so that's what self-mastery allows, to allow then mastery of our profession, mastery of, of like the, the life that we live day to day. And so we see that that is something that can be shaped and improved always. And so in that sense, if you're looking for ways of actively challenging yourself in your daily life, you're going to find that you have to keep finding a way of like raising the bar higher. 
It's like if you're going to a gym and the only weights were kettlebells that were 15 pounds. Well, after a while of doing stuff, you'd, you'd see, okay, no, like I'm ready for more. And you'd start, you might have to look for a new gym and you look for it in that sense. Well, I think that's what ends up happening in people's lives with optimal work that they, that there are so many things in their ordinary life, but maybe they were feeling overwhelmed at first or they were avoiding giving presentations. They're avoiding some kind of activity. And then they learned to start embracing challenges and to enjoy it. You know, and then they found that they were volunteering for these things. Well, that just then leads them on a path of growth where now they think, what else could I be doing to learn and to grow and to practice? So, and, and that's the adventure I'm talking about. It's really about having this mindset where you don't put any ceiling on your growth and say this, you know, that now that doesn't mean that your prime air way of growing is going to be, you know, only in the sake of the setting of your job. You know, but I also think that people nowadays, especially young, younger people, they need to have a sense of openness to adventure when it comes to relationships, you know, and that, you know, if two people are going to commit to each other, that is going to be a great adventure that they're going to live together. And then, you know, that, that could then, you know, you could see how it's kind of natural in that, in that setting, a family setting that then new life gets added. You know, you're expecting the birth of your son. Uh, hopefully by the time this podcast is aired, he will, he will be born. You know, but that's part of the adventure of life, that if that's possible for a couple, you know, that then their, their world keeps expanding, the challenge keeps growing, but also the, the, um, how meaningful it is, you know, and how, and then how you then become progressively more and more shaped as a father as you exercise that fatherhood. Well, I think that being, that's like all that happens when you're open to growth within relationships. So I think there's, I don't know if that answers, you know, but I think that it can be in place of work, it can be in the place of family life, or in anyone's commitment to to the ideals that they want to live in the world. You know, that anytime you're living in a way that is open to helping others, your life does become much more of an adventure because it's not just that you're you've already in a sense mastered these principles for your own case, but then a lot of it is helping others to master the principles in their own case too. And to this, the encouragement and support you provide others that becomes then, I think, much more commonly the sense of where the adventure lies. That's wonderful, Kevin. One of the things that you said that I that has always stuck with me, and we've since sort of put that into the master class, is that reframing mindfulness and challenge also give way eventually towards this magnanimity, or if we're to break that up sincerity, humility, and generosity, which is sort of as we grow in this, that's also the ideals that we start to aim for. Our adventure starts to be colored with these ideals and, and that starts to guide our, our work and our lives going forward. And so that's that's something I've, I've also found very exciting uh, that, that you first shared with me. So let's talk a little bit, if that was sort of the theory of growth, if we just took a brisk walk through our theory of growth, reframing mindfulness and challenge and all of the things that this uh, that this theory offers us. Let's talk a little bit more about the method of growth. You mentioned earlier the golden hour and the promise of being able to shape a really good hour of work. Now, again, I remember you saying that the golden hour encompasses all the best that cognitive behavioral therapy has to offer. Tell the listener a little bit more about the golden hour and, and really what is its ultimate aim? Yeah. 
Well, I think one of the great events of my professional life was when I had already mastered how to do exposure exercises with people who had anxiety. So if people are coming to me for anxiety, I had figured out different ways of doing intense exposures, even in the first session, to such an extent that many times people were getting better within one or two or three sessions, like completely better. And people who had been really handicapped in life by their anxiety were suddenly freed of it. Uh, people who hadn't driven in like 16 years and after one session were able to drive again. So uh, there is a beautiful discovery in my life like that I found that I could, um, if I could uncover in the person and really understand what's the main challenge, you know, that, that, that he or she is you know, viewing as a threat. If I could flip that into seeing it as an opportunity and then teach them how to be mindfully open to the sensation of anxiety as fully as possible and then help them with discovering new ways where I'm supporting them and leaning into the challenge, well, they would, not, they would get better with remarkable speed and it wouldn't be painful and it wouldn't even take that many minutes within that session. Okay, so I think the exposure therapy is very powerful. And then what I, the, the aha moment for me was in studying the works of Mihai Csikszentmihalyi uh, and the psychology of flow and other works. And there's a, uh, there's a um, psychologist here at Harvard, Daniel Brown, who also has put things out. And I attended a conference by him you know, on the psychology of peak performance. And it really just clarified my mind. Those are the same steps, which are reframing, mindfulness, and challenge. I was talking about in my therapy sessions all the time by those words. Those same steps are exactly what the literature is showing. Put people right into flow. So if you wanted to get into flow, you need, there are these three gates you pass through. One is flipping on your ventral medial prefrontal cortex, which is precisely what happens when you reframe something, particularly the task you're about to engage, if you're, so that you can see this as some kind of opportunity. Something you could be enthused about, actually. It's as warm and positive as you can get that, the better. And then get people to activate the rest of their medial prefrontal cortex with a brief exercise of mindfulness, which fit exactly. And then more or less, how do you get them to embrace the challenge? The neuroscience then, I don't think, had been worked out on that. But it's particularly, how do you have a kind of quality challenge in this next task? Well, those three things in that sequence put people into flow. Without that last step of challenge, you don't have flow. What you have is mindfulness. Because mindfulness and the reframe are basically going to be the same thing. One is intellectual and one is attentional, but they're both an openness and welcoming of whatever's present. So does that make sense? Like one reframing does it intellectually as, you know, where you could say, bring it on, the more the better. And mindfulness says bring it on attentionally, without words, but opening up to the sensation. Well, so those together are just, they solidify each other. But you need the extra thing of challenge to actually go into flow. Uh, and so I started teaching people then how to set do these three steps as a way of beginning an hour of work. Because I noticed in my own case, it seemed to be very, very effective at getting me into flow. And the same with the people that I, that I was working with. It was incredibly effective. There's a lot of students I've mentored that were going to Harvard and MIT um, who very quickly 
were able to like learn this same kind of lesson. And I thought, okay, this has to be one of those people that I taught was Sharif Yunus, uh, who then helped to found Optimal Work with me. So that's how it, that's kind of how the company started. But it was from connecting the how do you rapidly get over anxiety disorders to how do you attain flow at will. That's wonderful. I want to talk a little bit more later on regarding when can we do a golden hour? What are the characteristics of a golden hour in the very practical workplace settings? Because I could imagine someone listening to this would say, great, works for students or maybe academics or attorneys, but what if I'm a doctor or a nurse or a corporate, you know, software salesperson? They may not find it as immediately relevant to them. Although from, you know, spoiler alert, what you're saying is the principles are more important, really, than even sitting down in any particular way. But we'll come back to that in just one second. So this all kind of begs the question, how do we know this works, right? So the third aspect of optimal work is our measure of growth. So we had a theory of growth, a method of growth, and then we have a measure of growth, which we call the inventory so, Kevin, for the listener, what is the inventory? Yeah, the inventory is on Optimal Work, and its current state is it's a 24-item questionnaire. It takes a few minutes to complete. Uh, and I think that uh, the inventory is probably one of the best things I've ever done. So, like, in terms of, um, like, there is, it was a unique moment, I think, of, of just what, ha- what, what I did was... Uh, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm like tooting my horn or bragging here, but, but it was just that, you know, I, I fe- really do feel like, um, somehow like that day, I just had super clear light, you know, and I was looking through applying something called acceptance and commitment therapy, uh, to helping people to, in their ordinary life, their work life, especially. Acceptance and commitment therapy had, Six has six different categories. I won't go through them right now, but if I did, they'd all sound familiar because they're going to be basically on, you know, some of them are on your attitude, more or less. They don't phrase it that way, but I think that's what it is. Some are on your attention, being mindful, and some are on your action. Um, and I just thought, okay, if I were to take these different categories, break them down, you know, so that I have four questions each, uh, then what would that look like? And that literally is the inventory now. It's those, it is from one session sitting down and then coming up with the way it ends up that because acceptance and commitment therapy is based on a very deep research, uh, and which and ultimately on cognitive behavioral therapy, which has gigantic research, there's a lot of hidden resonance and depth built into these questions. So they end up being, some are biological, some are psychological, some are social. But just as much, you could say some are attentional, some are attitudinal, and some are uh, action-oriented. And they, it is basically, they break down evenly of eight, eight, eight. So it's a very, it's a, it has all these symmetries built into it. The inventory overall is asking the question, are you thriving on challenge? So thriving in every sense. Does challenge, do you get your energy from it? Are you enthused by it? Or do you complain about it and avoid it? So some, you know, it doesn't ask that as specifically, but really every single item on the inventory is about, are you embracing challenge in your life? And it lists 24, which are essentially 24 best practices in 
psychology. The most be- well-proven practices. So it's a nice thing. It kind of lets you know, am I living, what would you consider like, am I living wisely according to the best in psychology? And it holds up extremely well that in my experience, when people have a score, right now the way we score it is going to be in a perfect score be 240. When they're above 200, um, I see routinely anxiety disorders gone, you know, being depressed gone, behavioral addictions and other addictive behaviors gone or incredibly changed. And so now I can't promise that this is what happens, but I can tell you it makes sense because it just is all the basics of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the prime treatment for anxiety disorders and depression disorders and addictions. So it's a, it's a quick way of assessing yourself cognitive behaviorally. You know, and also it's a bit, it's an intervention because for every one of those items, you have to form an image of yourself living something 10 out of 10 and then rate how true is that of you right now. The most important question we know from analysis is the one that says, I almost never complain. And you have to rate how true is that of you. But even that lays down an image in your mind, you never complaining, that you then compare yourself to. Even that I think is therapeutic. So that you, as you're reading, you're, you're, you kind of envision yourself living in these ways. And it, just taking the inventory once educates you on what does CBT think of, think thriving looks like in ordinary life. So that's in general the, you know, I think that um, as we develop optimal work, I you know would love to see that it continues to develop in a way based on the inventory because now we've had it taken 25,000 times and we've done Roche modeling, which is very advanced psychometric modeling. And it's just held up that the inventory is an incredibly robust tool. Uh, and so I'm excited that we just continue using it and testing it. Yeah, Kevin, I want to read just some of the behavioral improvements that we have data on. This is from a subset of some of our initial masterclass users. Um, so if anything, I would say that actually these are folks that were already, so let's say, exposed to optimal work. So if anything, I think the impact size is usually larger. I, I can't definitively say that, but I'd be, if I were a betting man, I would say that. So let me read some of these inventory items. I seldom give in to distraction in my work. So after our masterclass, people reported a almost 30% improvement. I rarely end up rushing to finish a big project. Same thing. So 28.9% improvement. I usually delay checking email, news, and social media until I'm completely finished with the task at hand. Over a 35% improvement. I challenge myself in each hour of work by setting and attaining specific goals, a 42% improvement. Here, oh, I almost never complain. This is the one that you mentioned. 29.52% improvement. And then this last one, this is the last one I'll read. Instead of being overwhelmed, I get energized by challenges in my work and social life. And that's almost a 27% improvement. Yeah. Those, those are massive improvements. On The other thing is that... Uh, the average score of the masterclass participants when they start out is much higher than the typical that we get. So even with the Harvard students that I work with, uh, uh, the average first score on the inventory is going to be around 120 or so. I think with the masterclass, it's closer to 140-something. And so, or maybe it's even higher than that. So it's like there, there's already a big difference from students at the nation's one of its top universities that are actually still doing really well to begin with. It's not, you know, these aren't people coming to me because they have remedial academic problems. 
Um, just to say that I think that the masterclass group is already a, a tight group. And the masterclass is probably, is, I mean, without doubt, the most thorough way of learning all of this that we've ever made. And our, I think all of us in OptumWork are very committed to it, that we wanted to keep on making it better and even more thorough. So it's going to just keep on getting better and better as time goes on. Yeah, so that, that already starts to answer the next question I was going to ask, which is if someone's listening to this and they say, hey, that sounds really exciting. Okay, great. I want to get started with the next steps. You know, naturally, given what you just said, the, the way to do that would be to look at our masterclass, which teaches all of the fundamentals associated with everything we've been talking about for the last almost 30 minutes. Um, and that's the way that we've traditionally shared optimal work and its sort of core teachings. Yeah. And we generally now make it a requirement before we work with individuals one-on-one in any kind of coaching capacity um, that they first complete the masterclass. It's just, it's, it's like, and I've had often when people come to my practice, they um, will do the masterclass first, you know, because they've already heard about it. And I've had people not even need to see me once they're done with the masterclass. That the anxiety, the panic disorder had already gone away. Now, we are not saying that this is a treatment for it. But again, we are saying it is a great way of learning really solid principles, reframing mindfulness and embracing challenges that will be useful in all of life forever for everyone. That's right. I certainly recommend it to my family and friends and anyone else. So that's that's the way that I've certainly looked at it. Um, Kevin, what are going to be some new updates to the masterclass? We're working on something. We've been working on something for a bit now, but I think I think we're getting close. So, any any exciting updates to the masterclass? Well, yeah. When we're you know, when we're talking about uh, you know the you know reframing and like how I was learning these things and going from reframing to being mindful to embracing challenge, and how key that is to our own self mastery. But it also turns out that this is the key to helping others to grow. And that means helping when you're talking to people, you know, being able to understand their frame and to get within their frame, just a deep work of understanding and how to be more mindful of the person with whom you're speaking so that you are more in tune to their emotions and then supporting them in their challenge. And so this, uh, this ends up being a, uh, the I think we're gonna it's just gonna be a continuation of the existing masterclass, um, if not its own separate one. Uh, but the idea here is how do you have conversations with people, formal or informal, where you are actually helping them to grow in that moment? So, and just like is how I approach therapy, but it's also how anyone can approach a conversation with anyone they love to be a better listener, to be to, and to be more encouraging and to be a more effective support for that person in whatever way they, they need. So that's the next one, yeah. That's great, Kevin. And that's really expanding the aperture of, I think, traditionally how we think about growth. So let's take the corporate environment, for example. We, we've been fortunate to work with a number of companies and, and we've been growing in that space for the last year. Typically, people think of, okay, I have a manager or I have a coach or I have an external coach that works with our team or something of that nature. And that relationship is the one that's typically seen through the the prism of growth. What we're hoping to offer is offering people the skill set to sort of expand how that growth happens. Really, It's really a sort of culture change. We're helping to sort of create an entire culture of growth and people embracing challenges in the most healthy way, um, 
not just within themselves, but with their peers and, and everyone uh, comprehensively together. Yeah, because I think, again, one of the great adventures in life is learning how to help others. And it's no longer just about mastering yourself, you know, but it's, it's much more learning how to extend this and help others to grow too. So I think that there, that should not be reserved to specialists. I think that you've heard them as skills, but I think they are, they precisely are skills. And that's what this extension of the master class will be teaching is what are the skills that you can be practicing continually day by day that put together actually will make you um, an incredibly effective help to the people in your life. Well, Kevin, I think that's a great place to end. So we'll be back next week. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Kevin. All right. Thank you, Rashad. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out OptumWork.com for a set of online tools to help you engage challenge in your life. See you next week.